0: We have a group of um, ex-gang members, slash ex-prostitutes, <laughs> slash ex, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> all, <laughs>
0: those <laughs> gangster, all those yeah. very hardcore stuff. And it was that group for my first time, I was <laughs> wow. going to meet them, <laughs> which was wow. so awesome. Now they're a leader. Yeah, on the ranch. Church
1: today Gilbert Hosepian understands persecution intimately he's lived through it welcome to story shaped I'm Matt Price Several people have asked me where they can find this podcast. You can search for it on Google or anywhere podcasts are available. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. It's all over the web. Just search Story Shaped with Matt Price. When you find it, subscribe for free so you can receive new episodes. you'll hear another story shaped by the gospel listen for how the Persian culture has shaped Gilbert's understanding of what Jesus offers us I know you're gonna be encouraged let's jump in so Gilbert so glad to have this time with you and thanks for making time for this why don't you take us back to where does your story begin well
0: i am 42 now but 42 years ago i was born in iran and my dad who was armenian uh, lived in iran and was doing ministry was a pastor that was one of the very first believers who started a church so i was born and raised in the church literally we lived in the church at that time, when I was born, it was before revolution, before Khomeini came. So the government did have did not have any problem with churches or believers. So my point is that my story starts with persecution. Wow. And I was born and raised in a persecuted church, in a persecuted family. need a little explanation but see in the West the basis of everything is right and wrong so we teach our kids if this is right do it if it's wrong don't do it but in Middle East where I was born and raised until I was 22 the basis of everything in life is shame and honor so if it's shameful don't do it So if you come to Christ, it might be the right thing. And you might know it in your heart. (laughs) But it brings shame to our family. That's why don't do it. So something is honorable. Do it. It might be wrong, but still do it. That's why persecuting Christians from Islamic perspective, uh, point of view, was not necessarily what they wanted to do, but it was an honor. In fact, I... I don't want to preach on this, but <laughs> I believe the New Testament is all about shame and honor. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus, because we have in in that context, in that region, in the Middle East, um, if you are an important person and if you go to someone's house, you're honoring them. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, you are a very important person, Pastor Matt Price. <laughs> so, if you come to my house, <laughs> in my culture, you are honoring me. Yes. But in the West, it's if the you come to my around. house, it's the other way around. But in Middle East, if you want to honor me, you have to come to my house. So Jesus was going to sinners' house, which could be the reason that Pharisees or so many other religious leaders were not understanding that they are not worthy of honor. What right. are you doing? Right. Which could be the reason that Revelation three twenty says, mm-hmm. I knock the door. If you open, I will come in and I will eat with you. That's the ultimate honor to partake. So everything in the Middle East was revolving around shame and honor. After a revolution, um, the persecution turned from people to people and government, and it was harder because the government now had uh, permission to take people and put them into prison, which a couple of people did, or being tortured, which many did or even killed, which many also were killed and murdered. being
1: Armenian versus being Persian in that context, everyone was being treated the same at that point?
0: Well, Armenians in Iran were actually respected okay. uh, because Persians loved Armenians. They were saying Armenians are honest. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing that they loved. And Armenians were very artistic overall. Which is the reason that 400 years ago the king of Iran went to Armenia and brought some Armenians to Iran yes. to enhance the country. But uh, those Armenians, like my dad or some others that later went into ministry that were kind of sharing the gospel with Muslims, they hated those Armenians yes. because not only they are Armenians and they are Christians, but now they are changing our people into yes. Christianity. Yes. And, of course, they wouldn't look at it as a evangelism. It was, no, it was a threat. Yeah, it was a threat. A threat. Exactly. So that's my childhood that I uh, watched my dad going into interrogations, coming back. Some fam- family members, like my uncle, who went to prison. It was a short time, but only two months, not three months. But so many others, longer, like ten years or some other amount of time. So many people would be fired... Um, so many would be beaten by, by their own parents. Uh, so, to me, persecution was normal. And in the Bible also, I read the Bible. And it, and I saw there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was super normal. <laughs> and this is interesting, but... <laughs> Because I didn't get out of Iran for a long time, I thought everywhere in the world is like that. I right. didn't have Google or right. Internet or nothing. <laughs> so I thought, this makes sense. Jesus says, you have to sign up for this. If you want to follow me, right. these things will happen right. to you. <laughs> to me, persecution was so much honor that I was praying for persecution. That wow. God, as a teenager, that God, I'm jealous. Some of my friends have been persecuted. I have not been persecuted. Wow. <laughs> and I want to share in your suffering as well, not, on, not only in the glory that we will share. Uh, well, Boy, that's
1: an aspect of honor and shame that really is absent, I think, in American
0: culture. Correct. And I can't say there was a specific time and a date and an hour that I became Christian, even though I prayed that prayer when I was sure. 14 years old. But I didn't step into Christianity or Christ. I slid into Christ. <laughs> 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 and because in our house, there were Bible studies all the time, prayer meetings, everything. And of course, the church also grew. By the time I was 17 years old, we had maybe 1,000 uh, members in the whole church in Iran. And so many people had come into ministry... You, you said, of course, you prayed that prayer when you were 14, but was that just... How, how did that happen? Yeah, It was a youth conference that we were there, and I considered myself a believer. Sure. And I was reading the Bible, worshiping, singing, playing. But then I remembered uh, the guest speaker uh, shared a message, and it was about repentance, and it was about the weight of sin. For the first time in my life, I felt that I'm a sinner. Mm. Always I knew that I was a sinner, Mm. but this time I realized, Mm. I felt it. And then I said, God, I'm a sinner. I started to cry. And uh, my brother was there. I'm like, Joseph, I'm a sinner. I have to repent. I thought I had repented, but I feel like a sinner. Then he's like, okay, go forward, and why don't you give your heart to Christ? Would you
1: say that it was like becoming aware of your shame?
0: I think it was becoming aware of my shame and sin and not being able to follow Christ.
1: Not being able to follow Christ in the sense that you were aware that I can't do this on my own. I know what I ought to do. I know what I should do. I've already even been doing some of those things, but but doing those things is not what has made me right with
0: God. Exactly. So that's where my story begins. And because I saw many people go to prison or being killed, uh, I always um, would pray this prayer. I would talk to God saying, God, I am a weak person. I can't take pain. So Mm. if they persecute me if they torture me i will deny you i'm sorry i can't take pain (laughs) i'll I'll repent and i apologize later but (laughs) i can't do that (laughs) and i truly thought that i can't but of course the time came later that i did not
1: i i knew you would probably get to that part of your story or i was gonna tell you to get to that part of your story (laughs) because it was uh memorable and inspiring to me when i first heard you tell it that you you had prayed for persecution which is a strange thing i think for a lot of us in the west to even understand and in fact you did have that honor yes uh, you were persecuted
0: Well, you know, at the same time, I have to mention before I get there, I have to mention that still my wish and my prayer is that God, not that I wish to be persecuted, but especially when it comes to my death, whenever that is, I don't want to die in an accident. I don't want to die with cancer. If there's an opportunity, God, please, I want to be martyred. And I want to die in a way that my death also would glorify you and would cause the church to grow would inspire would motivate people would do something some type of ministry even the death
1: you're saying even today you yes, have that desire
0: yes I still, it's amazing yeah it could be maybe because I've been born and raised with shame and honor right? and everything revolves around that and I want to honor my God the one who has saved me even with my death
1: I uh, once heard the story of an old evangelist in America a traveling evangelist who um who died on a platform on a stage preaching the gospel uh, died of a heart attack but nevertheless died doing what oh. God had called him to do and that that has always been
0: inspiring to me that wow
1: wouldn't it be amazing to die knowing <laughs> what God called you to live Good. you know to do with your life but I've never gone to the point of, of desiring challenging
0: yes and there's pain involved but once again I think it helps when the perspective changes into honor right it does
1: it's
0: amazing uh, so many people um, think that we have a green card we have a green light to do some sinning because God is love and not only mercy but grace and we can repent and He will forgive but once again in the Perspective and the context of shame and honor it's completely different and that's how I view it that this God who had uh, no sin became sin for me and died for me and honored me wow. and saved me now not only I want to live holy and as pure as possible to glorify him not only I want to do ministry and do whatever he has called me to do but also with my death I want to honor him. so all of a sudden it changes the There's perspective changes, changes.
1: So, the persecution that you experienced, tell us about
0: that. Yeah, when I was 17 years old, my dad left the house and did not come back for 12 days. And uh, every time he would go into interrogation, he would come back, maybe a day later, a couple of hours later. And most of the times, they would let us know that dad is being interrogate, interrogated. Um, but this time, no one let us know anything. And. For twelve days, we couldn't find him. So he was being interrogated by constantly. the government. At yes, yes, constantly, at least once a month. After 12 days I'll cut the story short this part but after 12 days we found his body 26 times stabbed wow. yes and unfortunately I saw the body and it uh, had a very very bad impact on my life for the first couple of months I was the whole family we were uh, destroyed mm. it was so bad I mm. mean extremely hard not only I lost my father in persecution but also, um, there was this, um, this, how do you say, the government was not done with us, the pressure was continuing. They were playing with their minds. Some people from the government would come to our house and would say, uh, this guy, that guy, those two, those brothers, they are the ones that did this and they are working with us. These are spies in your church. And oh. so many things that were happening. To play with our minds or sometimes they would go, the government people would go to my brother's uh, school and they would say, hey, your dad has sent us to pick you up uh, maybe two weeks after my dad's martyrdom. To a point that we had some believers that would uh, come and take my brother to school every day so that nothing bad would happen. My mom was in fear. So fear was one of the worst things that happened there and sadness to the max because that sure. is not there anymore and of course right. I didn't have a chance to say bye to my right. dad and even though I knew that my dad's wish and desire was to be martyred, also and he would constantly say that actually and he would say I have one life I don't want to lose this life anywhere I want to lose it for Jesus and God answered that prayer so, which is the reason that I never had Questions about why this happened because mm. I mm. knew why right. because he was a believer, yeah. <laughs> and Jesus said things will happen to believers, right. and I know things might happen to me or any other believer, right. no question. Of course, that's what the Bible says. We follow Jesus not only <laughs> the resurrection, but a couple of days prior to that, there's a crucifixion as right. well. <laughs> that's right. the right. full Christianity, yeah, there's cross and resurrection. But uh, regardless of uh, not having any doubts not uh, being angry at God or anything like that, I was extremely sad and, not depressed, but extremely down. Well, a year later, I had to go to military service for two years, which was not optional, which, by the way, before I go to military service, a couple of months prior to that, another pastor who was a very, very good friend, he was, he was also uh, martyred. And when we found his body in his pocket, there was an address. Following that address, we found another pastor's body. All these were very, very close good friends. Wow. Uh, which I, I was raised up with these people. So it was extremely hard. I went to uh, military service for two years there. And... Uh, the persecution started there, well, the first day that I entered there, which is exactly one year after my dad's martyrdom, and I was 18 years old, very young. Um, that uh, guy in military, the head, called me into his office, and he said, Gilbert, we know who you are. You are Pastor Hayek's son, and if you talk about anything that has happened here, same thing can happen to you. Do you understand? Wow. I said, yes, I understand. Then he said, your dad was an American spy, and we hated him. I said, he was not an American spy. He was a man of God. He had nothing to do with America. And he started to beat me right there. Wow. That was the first physical uh, persecution that happened. Wow. Well, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know, but he was not the last one. <laughs> <laughs> And God answered my prayers. (laughs) Um, But I remember even at that time when I was being beaten, um, even though I was in pain and I was belittled and humiliated, just when he he was in front of people because he took me outside and he continued the beating. But at the same time, I was feeling, yes, this is it. (laughs) I am honoring God with this. God is being honored, and I am being honored. Because this is nothing compared to what Jesus went through for me. And I'm going through this for him. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. Well, these opportunities continued (laughs) to happen. Even while you were
1: serving in the military. Yes. It's amazing to me. And again, I think probably because of my Western perspective or mindset. But when they choose to, say, go into the American military service... That talk about honor, that is such a a place of honor that it changes how a person might be treated. They may gain great respect among their family or their neighbors because of that choice. Uh, But I guess in your case, it wasn't necessarily a choice.
0: No, it was not a choice. It was...
1: Obligation exactly,
0: and if it was a choice, I definitely would not choose that. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. I would
0: not serve a country who has killed sure, my dad, of course, <laughs>
1: right? So, um, you're forced into serving in this military, yes, for and persecuted on top of that,
0: yes. And the bad thing is, I mean, what caused me to have a very hard time was once again fear because, uh, in the military in Iran. They are allowed to... I mean, 10 people, 10 soldiers a year can die. Wow. Out of an accident. or Because when we would run and they would yeah. want to train us, they would shoot oh, at God. our feet, next to our feet. And sometimes that would hit someone no. and they would die. Dang and it's God, okay. Yes. They can kill 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> yes. Wow. And that's what the guy told me. He's like, you might be one of those 10, if you talk about Jesus, and if you talk about your dad and what happened to him. And this was a a representative in the military? Oh my goodness. And I, you know, I loved Jesus so much, and I had seen so many good things from him, not only in the Bible that we see, but also in the lives of so many people, so many radical Muslims who became radical Christians, I had seen so many things that in my life changed, so many sins that completely changed, recovered, and I had seen God's power and His love, and I'm a very logical guy, <clears throat> and I loved studying, knowing about this Jesus, not just not just because my dad is a pastor or was a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, I want to follow Jesus. No, I want to know why I want to follow Him. Right. So even historically, in, in any way, I realized that this Jesus was a true man, God, (laughs) who lived a holy life and died on the cross and was resurrected. So I am sure that he will come back, and I'm sure that there is a heaven and I have a home. So it was very clear to me. That's why my point of saying all this was that I could not just be silenced and say nothing when I see so many Muslims around me are going to hell. And I'm in the middle with them and serving with them so 24-7 we were together so accidentally or intentionally sometimes i would share the gospel with them and i would get into trouble but also the persecution was rising because of that i was beaten many 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 times a couple of times it was in front of the house group church we had a, a 15 member underground church there and uh, in front of them so many times I was beaten, I was bruised, the whole upper body part was bruised, they put me in prison for altogether um, approximately two and a half to three months, I don't remember exactly, but it was almost, yeah, that much, and it was a very, very short time, it's too short to even mention it, but it was definitely very hard, because I didn't know what will happen, will they kill me in prison, Uh, Will I get out of prison? Will it be 10 years like so many others? And sometimes in the prison, they would not give me food for a couple of days. They were saying, you're najis, means unclean. You're unclean because you're Christian, so you can't eat with us. And based on that shame and honor thing, it's a shame if an unclean person eats with (laughs) a clean Muslim, in quotation mark. So that's why it was extremely hard. It was not easy. I don't want to ease the pain. It was very very hard because so many things happened and um, for example this one time I was supposed to um, be on this street with my gun and we were in front of the car standing there like policemen and we wouldn't do anything. We, ju- we would just stay there, stand there for eight hours, which was a waste of time completely. <laughs> so tiring, so boring. And I was supposed to go there. And when I started the car, the military car, to go there, the car didn't start. And I'm not good mechanically. I didn't know what to do. So I called my boss. I'm like, this car doesn't work. He's like, it's okay, I'll send your friend. His name was Jafar. He's like, I'll send Jaffar to go there uh, by the time we fix your car. So Jaffar, my friend, who had a six-month-old baby also, um, he went there and stood there, and I just sat there for 15, 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, I started the car, and it worked. I'm like, yeah, it works, so I can go there. So he's like, okay, I'll let Jafar know, with walkie-talkies or whatever it's called, that Gilbert will come and will replace you. As I was going there, of course, the military cars, we had those, what is it called? Yeah, radio. Radio, yeah. We could hear from the radio that someone that was standing next to Jafar was shouting, saying, they killed him, Jafar is dead, they killed him, they killed him. By the time I went there, Jafar, who was standing on my place, at my spot, uh, was killed. A random guy had come and had shot Jafar, and Jafar was... Dead. And incidents like that happened a couple of times, that God did not allow me to die. Right. It was not my time, I guess. Yeah. But I knew what the story behind is. They want to kill me to say, oh, the accident happened, Mm. something happened. But it was supposed to be me. Mm. And that's why fear, uh, a lot of fear went into me. Not necessarily because of my death. Because not that I'm not afraid of death, but I'm not that afraid (laughs) of death. But I was afraid of my family, that Mm. my mom and my brothers and my sisters, they are still going through pain. And it's been only a year that my dad has been martyred. And I don't want to die so that I would add to their pain. Right. Which is the reason that I never shared anything to my uh, mom or family members. Yeah. Uh, So, because of that, when the head mullah of Mashhad, which is the most religious city in Iran, and they purposely put me in Mashhad for two years of service, Mm -hmm. when the head mullah of Mashhad called me into his office, he said, "Um, I will kill you myself if you share about Jesus once again, and you have to sign this paper to say that I will never talk about Jesus. And over there, both I was afraid and very fearful. Also, I was um, thinking that I don't wanna die for my family. That's why I signed that paper.
1: pressed through, and then you felt beat down, you felt, felt tired, you felt scared, and you signed that paper. How did you feel when
0: you did that? I felt like a loser. <laughs> I felt that I uh, failed him. I felt very disappointed, not that I was a legalist at all, but a little bit of legalism, We have that in all of us. Sure. And in a way, I thought that God is also disappointed because I did that. Of course, I had to remember some other stories like Peter or so many others that they also um, denied, denied, but at the same time, they were used later. Absolutely. And um, in a way, I had to always force myself not to look backwards to look at what I had done, which was denying him, which was signing the paper. Um so I was trying to focus in future. Yeah. Say so, okay, that past, I can't do anything about the past, but I can do something about future. Yes, and is
1: that's also an aspect of the gospel that God's mercy allows for us to respond that way. When we have, when we failed to live up to his calling, um,
0: that's not the end of the story for us. Yes, and that is the good news. All right, <laughs> that's one of the reasons that I love God. Not only He's a God of mercy, but God of grace. Yes, <laughs> I love this description that mercy is the bad thing that I deserve, but I don't get. Grace is the good thing that I don't deserve, but I get. Ah, <laughs> oh, <that's> beautiful.
1: Yes, <laughs> and I love yes.
0: That. So I had to always look forward right. to uh, to see what God will do through me later. And this has passed. And of course, I would repent. And sometimes, out of, uh, I don't know, maybe child-likeness, I would go and share the gospel in a very unwise way. For example, after signing that paper, when I went to the taxi, I shared the gospel with the taxi driver, which usually you shouldn't do because so many of the taxi drivers are the spies mm. and government people and stuff like that. Uh, but once again, it was not with the right motive. And also, I, I feel that, especially that two years that I was in persecution, it was a learning experience for me. I was uh, very young in my age and in my faith. I was only 18, 19 years old. I was still not mature in my faith, I would say, even though I was sharing the gospel, even though I was doing ministry and all of that. But still, it was not as mature as now. Of course, it's been many, sure. many years. So I, I feel that it was a school that I was learning. Right. And I would understand, I now understand so many people that they feel so bad about themselves and they think that this is life right now. And I have to always remember myself, how, that's how I felt. And I have to kind of expand the view that this is now, but ooh, there's so much more in future. Mm. So that helped me uh, so much to look to the future, not to the past, not even the present.
1: You talk about uh, doing like evangelism, for instance, almost out of spite or out of revenge, maybe for the wrong reasons, and I assume that had to be motivated partly out of anger and uh, resentment, maybe hatred towards those who were your enemies. How did you—you talk about mercy and grace— and I know forgiveness is a big part of your story because I've heard some of the beautiful music that you have produced about forgiveness. Tell us, how did you come to
0: figure out, how how do you forgive those that were your enemies? Yeah. You know, some people would say forgiveness is hard. I would disagree. Forgiveness and forgiving someone is impossible. Mm. It's not even hard. Mm. At least in my case, it was impossible. And uh, I felt in the beginning that I don't want to forgive because they are not worthy of forgiveness. Someone said not forgiving is like drinking a poison, hoping the other person will die. (laughs) And that was my case. I wanted them to die. That's why I wouldn't forgive. But then I realized that I am dying. Mm. Spiritually, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Even the motives that I have are not right. And praise the Lord, there's this one thing that I... Have which I love is writing, and I always write my emotions, I l- write my motives, even wow. now, every month at least once a month. I write the things that I do and why I do, the things that I don't do and why I don't do, the things that mm-hmm. I should do, right. All those things I-, I write my mind so that I would see my mind. Yeah, and over there, when I would write my mind, I'm like, Oh, there's so many things that are wrong because the motives are wrong, even the motives of my evangelism are wrong, and then emotionally, I'm not in the right place. And uh, spiritually, this is not where God wants me to be. So I knew it. It it was uh, very obvious. So that writing helped you discover that you needed to forgive. Exactly. Exactly that. I realized that I need to forgive, even though it is not my will, but uh, my life is not my will. (laughs) I want His will to be Mm. done. Uh, So I started to pray, God... uh, i want to forgive but i can't forgive so i know it is your will so enable me do something that it needs a miracle truly because i can't i don't want to say that the miracle happened overnight it took a couple of months but every day for i don't know hours probably i would be in prayers especially when in military service there was nothing else to do so i had lots of free time and when you talk about being in prayer for hours,
1: I know for a lot of people in an American context, <laughs> <laughs> they think, how can you pray for hours? There might be a perception that you're spending 2 hours in these beautifully eloquent Bible sounding prayers. When you say you'd spend
0: hours in prayer, what was that like? <laughs> well, in my case at least uh, every night for a couple of hours I had to be alone by myself with a gun in my hand in the cold outside wow. <laughs> guarding the place. So as a soldier I needed to do that and there was nothing else to do but right. pray. <laughs> so maybe if I had another option maybe I would watch a video or something. <laughs> so the uh, first part was that. The second part is that, <laughs> um, because I was, and this is a privilege that not many people have, because I was born and raised in Iran in a persecuted church and family in a country, uh, we were always desperate for God's presence. Not not that we just needed. We were desperate, mm. and that desperacy caused us to go into prayer. Mm. And that desperacy caused me from very early age to do um, discipline that even though I'm not a morning person, but every morning uh, around 5.30 I would wake up and until 6 I would pray. And then I would go back to sleep (laughs) for an hour or so. But I just wanted to show God that God, even though I'm not a morning person, and I did this since I was a teenager, so I was 14, 15 years old, Uh, God, you're the most important thing in my life. Even though I can't, it's very hard, but I would put a couple of alarms so that I wouldn't sleep. And I would be in prayer. It was a good practice that helped me to be able to be, I don't know, a man of prayer, I would say. And prayer, of course, doesn't mean that you have to be on your knees and you have to definitely close your eyes or nothing like that. Well, that's why I ask you, because I know
1: early on in my uh, life of faith, I assumed that prayer needed to sound a certain way or be mm. done a certain way, and certainly we do learn to pray by listening to others pray. Uh, but I have found that prayer is a sometimes a meandering mix of thoughts and talking and
0: exactly. and
1: just talking to the Lord about what I'm thinking about, what I'm seeing, exactly. what I'm observing, what I need, what I all of
0: those things yes. mixed together. And in that, I mean, when we look at Uh, prayer like that we pray all the time I mean Mm -hmm. it took 20 minutes for me to come here from where I was and I prayed Sure. so I was in the car driving and talking to my savior (laughs) that's prayer so that uh, those prayers that were offered to God all of them were centered in God I want to forgive but I can't I truly hate them of course when I see them I hate them more Mm. when they beat me up I hate them more when they put me in prison I just want to kill them Yeah. but I can't so, God, do something about it. I don't know. It's it's your job. It's your will. Wow. It took a couple of months, but it came to a point that I could say that I have forgiven them, even though the hatred would come back. Mm-hmm. And I have to be extremely honest. Even after 25 years mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. my dad's martyrdom, still those thoughts mm-hmm. come back. Especially a couple of years ago, I was in another country. I don't know where I was, uh, but... There was this guy that looked like one of those people that persecuted me so bad. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I saw him, and this is what maybe five, six years ago, I'm a grown man, but still I was afraid of that man. And he was the guest speaker for one of the guest speakers. I was the second guest speaker. Wow. So I was afraid. So he was even a believer. He was a believer. He was a minister of the gospel. But I was afraid, and he realized it. He came forward to talk to me. I was going back out of fear. I mean, psychologically, things affect you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he came to me, and even now when I say, my, I have a ghost bomb, and he said, uh, why are you acting like this? Will you l- l- look at me differently. And I started to cry. I'm like, you look like some of those people that did all these bad things to me. And he said, I was actually in charge of persecuting Christians in my country. Wow. And then I came to the Lord. And he actually got on his knees and he said, please forgive me. I'm wow. sorry. It was one of those moments that helped me to, um, I don't know, visualize this forgiveness as if this person has done it. Even when um, I wanted to forgive, this might sound a little crazy, but I would put a um, chair and then in my own room by myself, I would talk to the person sitting on the chair, in my imagination, of course, there was a person, yeah. and I would say, hey, you did all these things to me, and then I would cry, I would shout on him, you did all these things, how could you, but I forgive you, because Jesus forgave me. Wow. And it was also part of that process that helped me to kind of visualize, I don't know if if there might be a better word for that, but... No, no, I think visualize and then verbalize. Yes. To say it. Yes, exactly, which was... So powerful in that. And I shed lots of, lots of tears. Even now, I'm 42 years old, 25 years have passed. But at least once every six months, I cry. Mm. Because all those memories are still there. Sometimes right. in the middle of the, um, sharing my testimony somewhere at a church in a public place. Sometimes that happens. Mm. So, which is the reason that in my song, um, I Forgive You which I would like people actually to hear. It's also, yes. it's on iTunes. The name of the album is Send Me Out, which yeah. is the name of my ministry. that's yeah, you know? a phenomenal <laughs> album. Thank you. But in that song, I say uh, that I thought I forgave and I'll be good for life, but all those feelings are coming back. But once again, I forgive you. So forgiveness is not one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. But this for- is a
1: very American illustration, but I, I like it's been helpful to me. I learned this from Mark Pickerel, that uh, forgiveness, he's described, or compared it to bowling before. You roll that ball away, and it goes into the gutter at the end, and it goes, and it comes back through that machine, (laughs) and you roll it away again. And every time it comes back, you roll it away (laughs) again. That's a good
0: one. That's so true.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it comes back so fast. <laughs> right.
0: And you just, you keep forgiving. And yes. It that, becomes that the way you live. And you know what to do. Right. Immediately, you say in the name of Jesus. Because so many times, I don't want to spiritualize it, but so many times I, I feel that it's a battle. Right. Now I'm supposed to just uh, fight this fight. And that's why I attack mm. that feeling, mm-hmm. that mind, mm-hmm. that in the name of Jesus, get out. Yeah. This mind, this heart, this body belongs to God. Right. I belong to Him. So yes. you, the spirit of unforgiveness, you have no place in me. Get out in the name of Jesus. Yes. Yes. And then I start to remember and especially uh, verbalize yes. with my mouth loud, especially yes. if I'm alone or in the car or something, I have to <laughs> say it loud, <laughs> that I have been forgiven. I'm not worthy of forgiveness, but He forgave me. That's why He forgives. And mm-hmm. on and on. Uh, you have two daughters. Three. Three daughters, sorry. <laughs> uh, their ages? Uh, well, in one month, the first one will be 11, and then 8, and in one month, the third one will be 2. <laughs> and
1: uh, the, what made me think of them is they hear their dad pray, I imagine. Yes. That's something that I'm grateful for as a child growing up, that I can remember hearing my dad pray. Yeah. I think even as a little kid, it was like seeds of faith you know, planted in me hearing him pray. and That's something that I've been intentional about looking for opportunities or, or welcoming, I should say, opportunities when I can pray in front of my kids and let them hear me pray yes, exactly. and not feel like you know, I need
0: to do this quietly or alone or whatever, but let exactly. them hear me pray. Exactly. And I'm a worship leader, so I want them to hear me sing and praise and worship. And every single night when they go to bed, I go to their bedroom and out loud, I pray for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Mm. I pray for them, for their marriage from now, Mm. from everything else, so that they would see and learn. And that's the best way to disciple, to be an example, to be a good model. So you mentioned that you're a worship
1: leader. And, of course, you mentioned your album, Send Me Out, which is one of uh, several albums that you've produced, right, or that you've uh, recorded. Yes. And most of your music is Persian, right? Correct. Uh, And I I want you to talk a little bit about what you do with that music and what the doors that God's been able to open for you. But before you go into that, um, how did you go from that initial forgiveness and being a soldier in
0: Iran to being a worship leader? How did that happen? Mm. Well, as I mentioned before, I loved the Lord so much and I was so passionate about Him. It, in a way, automatically turned into ministry because I would share the gospel even after the military service. I would share the gospel and I was a musician at church, very afraid to sing in front of people, but I would play and um, and I felt that whenever I share the gospel with people they want to, I felt that God has given me this grace, this favor so that I am accepted easily mm. by non-believers, by mm. Muslims and I can talk to them and not everybody could do that and I had nothing to, uh, I had done nothing to gain that it was a favor, God had done that so I'm like okay I can use this for ministry and because I was passionate That turned into uh, sharing the gospel and then playing. And when I came to America, I had to get over that fear to go in front of people and sing. And I felt there's a need. Um, So in a way, the need and my passion and the calling that I felt God had put on me, all those three came together and it caused me to go into full-time. That's so good. I even want to just take a minute and comment on it.
1: Uh, calling is a big deal for a lot of uh, Christ followers to figure out what has God called me to do and do Mm. I have a calling? And and I believe that he's called all of us to be actively involved in the ministry of the kingdom. Um, But figuring out what it is, sometimes people will um, get stuck on a certain passion that they're excited Mm. about. I love doing this. And that may or may not be part of God's calling. I love what you said that it wasn't only the passion, but it was also when you saw the need, mm-hmm. you were compelled to to do something. Uh, and I think that is a vital ingredient in knowing what's God calling you to do. Part of it is when you look around, what's something that you you just it burns in your bones, like exactly uh, Jeremiah talks about that you have to do something about
0: Exactly. Even now, for example, even though I'm a worship leader, the reason that in all these years I have not done worship because we have Tommy Walker, we have Alex, we have Jake, we have so many good worship leaders. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can be beneficial somewhere else. This is my home church and I love my home church, but I can be beneficial somewhere sure. else. and So that uh, need and passion and calling got together and caused me to be able to Going to ministry, and especially among Iranians, there are not many worship leaders, mm. not many Christian albums, not many songs, and I'm a songwriter. Uh, so I started to record songs from a key that are good for congregations, and I've recorded maybe more than probably 300 songs. I have more than um, 10 albums Wow! Uh, in Farsi, and then I did some Armenian, probably eight albums in Armenian. Oh, wow. And then I put all these songs online for free downloads for people. But my my mind was all ministry-oriented. Right. To a point that when I wanted to get married um, 14 years ago, which two days ago was 14 years anniversary. Oh,
1: congratulations.
0: (laughs) When we were dating 16 years ago, I told my wife that uh, Ani... uh, Her name is Ani. I'm like, Ani, uh, I... I'm um, in ministry and because of the nature of my ministry among Persians I will never have so much money mm. we will never have a good car we will never buy a house mm-hmm. this is who I am but this is my passion mm-hmm. and for the rest of my life I will never go to business or something which is this is what God has called me into. Right. Which she said, actually, this is the answer of my prayer, that my husband would love God more than me, so you're... It. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, of course, wow. God blessed even more than that, and we bought a house, we yes. had a good car, and all that. But my passion was there, and I wanted to be faithful to that yes. passion. Because there's, yes. there's this thing that, in Matthew 25, I believe, the master doesn't say good and successful servant. It says good and faithful servant. So I knew that God has given me this and I want to be faithful to this. Mm. Well, God gives more later. I want to be faithful to that. Mm. Well, it's what, what God has called me, which I'm very, very excited about it. Not only among Persians, but also sharing my testimony, which, sure. which brings me to this last point that I want to say that even though it might, might not make sense to many, but the martyrdom and the persecution caused victory. And I feel I am victorious, and uh, this king of kings is victorious through the martyrdom, which I'm so thankful for the persecution. Not that I'm thankful that I don't have a father, but if there's one point that I would say the martyrdom did, or the persecution did, is victory. Because I have gone to uh, more than 250 probably churches or conferences At least twice a month I do a Voice of the Martyrs conference, open doors, or a church, American church. I go somewhere to share my testimony. And I have shared my testimony in person with more than 200,000 people. And then from radio, TBN, so many others, with millions of people. So this is victory. that What was so painful now has caused um, glory to God. That's right. And I want to refer to this verse that I love, which is in a way the first Prophecy, I believe, that in Genesis three, it says that his heel will be bruised, but Satan's head will be crushed. And we see that we see this uh, in the cross. On the cross, Mm -hmm. a heel is bruised. (laughs) That's Jesus. But through the cross, Satan's head is crushed. A greater victory. Yes. Yes. In in my case also, even maybe in the first year or even years of the persecution and the martyrdoms, I would say that we lost. But now when I look at it, I'm like, oh, we have not lost. I have not lost. Mm. In fact, that pain and that bruise has c- caused me to be victorious and to be able to crush Satan's head yes. <laughs> by the
1: grace of God. Um, it, it reminds me of that hymn that we sing sometimes, uh, This is Our Father's World, you mm. know that hymn? And There's that one line that says, Though the... How does it go? Though the wrong seems off so strong. Mm. The things that are wrong seem so strong sometimes. So it says, though the wrong seems off so strong, he is the victor yet. Mm. He will have victory. And praise God that our God, the risen one, mm-hmm. has had victory over the grave. And he can do with the wrong he can do with the hurt he can do with the pain more than we could ever imagine he can he can bring victory out of those
0: yes i mean the greater the test greater the testimony wow and my test turned into testimony my misery turned into ministry (laughs) wow i love it so tell us about the
1: ministry um, at present, you told about the ten albums in Farsi it is, and mm-hmm. about eight albums in Ar- Armenian. Is Send Me Out
0: uh, your only English yes. album? Yes. Okay. Uh, right now, I have one single. It's called Wake Up. Right. I, wrote... I was going to mention that to you. I've <laughs> yeah, to it's church Wake, wake up. up. I know. Church
1: Wake Up. Yeah, Tell us about the um, where your music's going, where you're going these days. And then tell us a little bit about Church Wake Up and, and where oh. that came from.
0: Well, um, I have written lots of songs and I've recorded them, even though I have 10 Persian albums, which are 100 songs, but I have so many, probably 200 more songs that I've just put them online for free download and we've had uh, tens of thousands of people from Iran wow. that have downloaded. And then I have live TV programs that every Wednesday morning... I, um, through satellite, I go to Iran and Afghanistan and Tajikistan and Europe, but the main purpose is Middle East. And people call from those countries and we talk, and um, it's been very, very fruitful because many people have come to Christ. Mm. Many belie- believers have been strengthened in their faith, and it's continuing, praise the Lord. Every year, I do one or two conferences where we bring underground church leaders to outside the country, which a month ago, or actually two weeks ago, I just came back from Turkey for that purpose. And uh, we train them, they go back to you. We have a group of um, ex-gang members slash ex-prostitutes slash ex- <laughs> 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 All Who those people put in there. <laughs> Gangster, all those very hardcore stuff. And it was that group. For my first time, I was (laughs) going to meet them, (laughs) which was so awesome. Now they're leaders. And what were you meeting with them about? Uh, It was a conference. I do teaching or worship. So these guys are leading churches. Yeah, underground church. Amazing. Yeah, even though in, in my mind, when we say leader, I have a specific standard. Sure. And when I look at these guys, most of them don't have, I mean, the guy has been saved for two years and now was right. a leader. <laughs> right. Right. So I feel they're not mature biblically, knowledge-wise, they're not there. But as I was talking to the main leader, uh, it's a she, she was saying that we don't have anybody else, mm-hmm. this is all we have, mm-hmm. so uh, we don't need much of a knowledge. So I right. guess the things right. have changed, or maybe it's my background, where I come from, yeah. Yeah. but it was just powerful. So good. Tell me about uh, Wake Up. You know, one thing that still bothers me, and I don't want to be judgmental, but it bothers me still after 20 years being in America, is where the believers are, spiritually. I mean, God gave everything, but then we don't want to give everything. (laughs) We want to give so little. So I felt that America, and also I've traveled to Europe many times at least, Four or five times a year I do ministry in that part of the world as well. And I see believers in the West, generally speaking, they are very self-centered. Everything is about me, I, what do I want? And that bothered me for so long. And a couple of years ago, uh, I just turned those thoughts into lyrics and a song uh, by the name of Wake Up. And I say, Church, wake up. And so many times the church and believers, by church, I mean believers, they think or they uh, they speak of ministry as if it's a dream. that oh, Brother Gibert, I wish I would have time to pray. I wish mm. I could do ministry. I, I wish I could share the gospel. Mm. I wish I would study the Bible. Why don't you do it? Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Oh, because I don't have time, because I have to watch this TV program, because I have to do the kids, and all those good things. Even TV is not bad. But (laughs) they're not priority. So it caused me to be, in a way, angry at church. (laughs) The root of the song is anger. (laughs) Come on, church, wake up. (laughs) Right, right. It was an inspiring (laughs) song.
1: And I, I have had the experience of being with uh, Christians in other parts of the world that will talk about the American church and the strength of the American believers and that they long to come and visit America and the churches here. Uh, And so often I think, "I I want some Americans to come and see how you're living as a Christ follower in your situation. You inspire us. So I encourage anyone to find that
0: song, Wake Up. Is it on iTunes? Uh, Actually, in these couple of days, it will be put on iTunes. Wonderful. But the Send Me Out album, which is the name of the ministry also, uh, is This, These are the words from
1: Wake Up that really struck me. Faith is not just believing in spite of evidence faith is obeying in spite of consequence Hmm. those words will preach Gilbert thank you so much for your time it's an honor uh, and letting uh, the ways that the gospel has shaped your story inspire us thanks a lot
0: every life tells a story people's stories never get on wouldn't it be great to have your story shaped by the greatest story
1: of all? Thanks for listening. Join me again in a couple of weeks for a new episode of Story Shaped. In the meantime, leave a review on iTunes or post a link to the podcast on social media. That'll help others find it. Your story isn't finished. Trust Jesus. To be the author and the finisher of your faith and your life story can still be shaped by the power of the gospel.